Well, welcome one last time to Mill City. We're really glad you're here. We are in the midst of this Advent series, as Stephanie said. And today, we're talking about waiting for God's peace as we look forward to Jesus' birth and the different things that we're waiting for as we wait for Jesus to arrive. Today, we're focused on peace, and we've lit the peace candle, and we're going to be discussing how it is exactly that God brings peace through Jesus here in the next few minutes. I want to start with a question. Have you ever had to give a gift, buy a gift, for someone that you didn't know that well? Raise your hand if you had to give a gift for someone. Raise your hand if you have to give a gift within this next week and you have no idea what it is you're going to get them still. Yeah, a bunch of us. I, I know sometimes when I've had to give a gift, especially before I had any kid expertise at all, Maybe you've been asked to give a gift to like an eight-year-old kid and you don't have any kids and you don't know anything about it. So you're like wandering through Target, hoping that whatever aisle is dedicated to eight-year-old boys will have something that looks amazing and requires tons of batteries that you can give to the parents that are receiving the gift for the kid. You give these gifts because you want to, because you have to. Sometimes you send gifts to people just because you have to check the box of having said, I sent the gift to them, and they're not always the most personal gifts, but we fulfill our obligation to give gifts. Sometimes they're kind of superficial gifts. Uh, sometimes they're just what the person asked for, even though you wouldn't have picked that out. Uh, and that's all fine, right? Those gifts are fine. But there's nothing really like getting a gift from somebody who knows you well and has really thought about what you would like or what would affirm you or what would communicate to you that they, they know you and they know how to love you well, right? You all given a, getting a gift by the, uh, like that at some time or another? I had a group of friends who I lived with in New Jersey when I was going to school there, and I remember uh, on my wedding day many years ago, they just all showed up. Like, I didn't even really expect them to come. They drove from New Jersey to Minnesota and showed up for the wedding, and I think all stayed in my apartment the night before the wedding, which wasn't so great. But they gave me this gift of being present when it was a pretty big sacrifice for them uh, to be there and be with me on a really important day in my life when they didn't have to do that. There, there are people in your life who give you gifts that help you know that they know you. And sometimes those gifts are not expensive in terms of dollars, but they might be really expensive in terms of time, or they might be really expensive in terms of relationship or investment or driving across the country, uh, presence. There's nothing like getting a gift from somebody who knows you well and has thought it through and has given you something that you, they know you would like or that you would need. So as you're sitting here this morning, think about these questions. What is it that you need most this Christmas? If someone really knew you well, what would they give you? Someone who knows you inside and out, what gift would they give you if they could? And then what do we all need most this Christmas? We kind of have some ideas about what we don't need, right? But what do we need the most? What gift could be given to us as a group, as a church, as a country that would make the most of the opportunity for us to receive from someone else today. I think one of the things we collectively need the most as a group and as a country is peace. 
If you read the news or if you get news on your phone like I do almost every day, you hear a story about where there isn't peace, where people are experiencing war, where people are experiencing fear, where people are being driven from their homes. And when you think about those stories, it's very easy to say that what we need most as a a group, as humans, is peace. And when you think about the United States of America having just come through a really tough election, you could say maybe what we need most is peace. We need some unity. We need less division. We need more connection. We need people to come together and honor each other and listen to each other and make peace with one another in order for us to go forward. We don't just need gifts of peace that are impersonal box-checking gifts. We need personal gifts of peace. We need somebody who knows us to give us the peace that we need the most. And so I think the Christmas season, at least for me, can easily be overshadowed by gift-giving. There's a responsibility to give some gifts. People are getting gifts for you. They want to know what to get you. They don't know what to get you. You've got to make up a list. You've got to find a gift that will honor somebody else. And sometimes we lose the meaning of Christmas in it, and it's easy to maybe just say the gifts are a distraction, but I think there's some really good reasons why we give gifts. The first one is because people brought gifts to Jesus when he was born, right? That's part of the story. And a lot of times when you see these opportunities to give to Sheridan's story or some other cause in December, it's a good opportunity to think of it like bringing a gift to Jesus. To offer a gift to somebody who's doing something good uh, to honor Jesus' birthday. And the second reason I think gifts are really important is because the Bible tells us that Jesus is a gift from God to us. That is the point of the holiday, of Christmas. God is giving a gift to the world in Jesus. And so I want to talk just a little bit about what kind of gift is this that God is giving. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah was telling people, telling the people of Israel what God was going to do for them. And they came to expect that God would send them a Messiah, a Savior. They're waiting for a gift of somebody to rescue them from the situation that they were in. Sometimes it's, uh, he's referred to as light in the darkness. And so Isaiah, in this passage I'm about to read in chapter 9, if you want to bring it up for me, Adam, is uh, describing this gift that's going to come in the future. Let's, let's read it. It says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and the greatness of his peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Go back to the first slide for me for a minute, will you? Isaiah, hundreds of years before, is saying God is going to give Israel a gift of a child who will grow up to be a leader, a savior, a Messiah, who will have the government on his shoulders and will be called the Prince of Peace. Now, the word peace here is really important in this, in this uh, context and in this book. The word for peace in this passage 
is shalom. Everybody say shalom with me. Ready? All right, one more time. That was awful. Shalom. So we could call Jesus the Prince of Shalom would be more accurate, more uh, a broader understanding. Shalom, the word shalom in Hebrew has a very broad meaning. Here's one definition of shalom. Shalom is the wedding together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or ceasefire among enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Just leave that definition up for a minute, will you, Adam? Peace, as sometimes we think about it, is just the absence of conflict, isn't it? Like as a parent, for me, peace means the absence of conflict. If I have two boys and a bunch of Legos, peace doesn't mean that I'm digging into the deep-rooted issues of selfishness for not sharing Legos. It just means stop yelling at your brother and hitting people with Legos. Any other parents? Yes. Peace is absence of conflict or loud noises. That's my definition from, from dad's perspective. But shalom is much, much more than that. Shalom gets at this deep idea that God has created the world to work together, to be under Jesus' authority, so that everyone has the opportunity to thrive, that, that humans have the opportunity to flourish, that we would have work to do that was meaningful, that we would have relationships that sustain us, that we would have all the resources that we need to survive and people wouldn't be fighting over those things. There's this idea of all of these things coming together and God's perfect idea of what it means for humans to live in creation, to be fulfilled. That's shalom. And Jesus is called the Prince of Shalom. Jesus is not just a peacekeeper. This is a really important point for me this morning. Shalom means much more than just keeping kids from fighting about Legos or keeping people from just arguing and disagreeing and not being able to stay in the same space. Shalom does not mean that everybody gets their own space and you can just stay in your space and not bother the other person and as long as we don't hurt each other, everyone's fine. That's not peace from God's perspective. God is a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. And so as we look at this passage in Ephesians 2, I want to ask the question, how is it exactly that God is making peace through Jesus? Not just keeping peace. It seems to me that a lot of us are, are learning to settle for peacekeeping. We think that maybe the best version of our life as we're living it now is just to not offend to let everyone think whatever they want to think, as long as we can all have our own spaces and we don't have to intersect, then fine. But aren't we learning that that doesn't work? That then when we do have to come together around some things, either as the church or as citizens of this country, that we can't actually come together because we're so used to just not offending each other? I don't think that's the vision of peace that God is putting forward for us in Jesus. So let me explain to you a little bit more what I mean. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're told exactly how it is that Jesus 
is a gift of peace to us. And, and I think maybe a helpful way to, to think about this before I read it is, have you ever gotten a gift where you open the gift, and it's worse if people are watching you open the gift, but you open the gift and you look at it and you genuinely have absolutely no idea what it is. Like you've opened it, you can read whatever's on there, and you can see it, but you still don't, you still don't know what it was. I mean, Chris and I got a gift one time where it was like a really tall gold cylinder, and I had absolutely no idea what it was. And the person giving the gift is sort of waiting for you to affirm it, right? Like, didn't you need one of those? And you go, maybe, I don't know what that is. I don't know what, I don't. Turns out it's a, it's a pepper shaker, pepper grinder. So if you, don't, if you don't have a gold pepper grinder, come talk to me. I might, have, I might have something for you. Sometimes you open a gift, you have no idea really what it is. And I, I really feel like maybe this is what we're talking about when I say Jesus is a gift of peace. You might be sitting there thinking like, yeah, it's Christmas. We talk about joy, and then we talk about love, and we talk about hope, and we talk about peace. I don't know. They kind of all go together. I don't really know the difference. of how, how is it when we receive a gift from God of shalom, peace, through Jesus, what is it? What does it do? How does it work? What do we do with it? That's what I want us to learn from Ephesians chapter 2 here. So let me read it to you. See if you hear the answer. Paul's writing to this new church in Ephesus. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles, and when you hear Gentiles today, I just want you to think people who are assumed to be outside of the religious community, the Israelite community, right? You that are formerly uh, Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in His flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two. Or I might say, out of the three, or four, or five, or twelve. Thus making Peace, active verb, not preventing people from disagreeing, but making peace. And in one body, to reconcile both of these groups to God through the cross by which He put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through Him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Can you leave that last slide up for me, Adam, for a little while? Paul is saying to this church, Jesus Himself is a gift of peace to you for a number of reasons. One, because Jesus brings together outsiders and insiders. 
He tears down walls between people who are considered on the outside and people who are considered on the inside, and he challenges the insiders to really know God, and he invites the outsiders to meet God, and he says there shouldn't be two groups. You ought to be together. Jesus establishes peace by fulfilling the requirements of the law that had been given to the Israelites. And the scripture says he sets it aside in his own body. Everything that was required, he he pays the check. He takes care of it for us and sets it to the side so that when you meet new people, when he invites people into the kingdom of God, he doesn't start by saying, here are all the pieces you're going to have to get together if you want to join us. I've already done that. How much different is an invitation to somebody if you have to say, there are 15 requirements for you to enter into this family, and if you can meet them, we'll talk. Rather than saying, I've actually met all the requirements, and all I want to know is if you want to be in the family. That's the only requirement. Jesus, God brings to us peace through Jesus by creating a unified humanity out of two or three or however many different groups of people. Jesus is a unifier, right? Not a divider. He's someone who makes it possible for everyone to be in reconciled relationship with God, no matter what their background, no matter where they come from. Jesus, through his death on the cross, offers us a restored relationship, a reconciled relationship with God, giving us access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity in this text, right? Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you can have conversations with Abba, God the Father, because the Holy Spirit is living in you and in your community and directing you towards relationship with God. Now hear me say this. This is not just like religious perspective. This is a a core claim of why peace comes through Christian communities. This is a core claim for why Jesus is essential and not optional. Because through Christ, we have reconciled relationship with each other and with God in ways that we can never accomplish on our own. There's no way for us to train ourselves to be connected and reconciled to each other in the way that Jesus invites us into it. Why? Why is that? Because when you you come into relationship with Christ, you have to admit that you don't deserve anything that God gives you. That means every person in this room is on equal footing. No matter how much money you have, no matter what your job is, no matter what your ethnic background is, no matter what your religious background is, no matter who, who you are, where you came from, We're all coming to God with nothing. Every human being is coming to God with nothing. And then we can decide. Either we're going to fight each other over what we perceive to be scarce resources in the world, or we can trust God that God provides everything for everyone. And not only can we trust God, but we can become part of the way that God does that providing for everyone else in the world. And Jesus, God decides that the only way for us to have peace in the world 
isn't just to make a cosmic announcement and say, there were some rules. You couldn't follow them. Don't worry about it. With some sort of star arrangement that communicated to everyone, I wasn't, you were on the hook, but now you're off. Have a good life. God decides the only way for there to be real peace with humanity is to get right in the conflict. Think of the most contested uh, group of people or problem you can think of. Jesus goes right into the middle of it. God says the only way for me to do this is to become a human and get right in there, right at the crux of the problem. To sit at a table with people who hate him to sit at tables with people who are designing ways to kill them. That's how God makes peace. So when we say there's a gift that's in front of us of peacemaking, the first thing we ought to understand is that God has already done this for us. It's it's not like it's going to come or Amazon's late. It's there already. It's waiting for you to say, yeah, I don't deserve a gift that God's giving to me, but I want to be in this family. And then we can turn the corner and say, we also have a model for how we make peace in the world, don't we? That Christians would be called to be peacemakers, not simply peacekeepers. That we would sit at tables with people who we don't agree with. That we would sit with people that might even be enemies to us. That we would sit at tables with people who might even be conspiring against us. Have you ever done that? Can you think of a relationship that really needs you to be a peacemaker? Maybe even over the holidays. To sit across the table from someone knowing that it isn't just you trying to make peace, but that God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can bring peace into relationships and into situations in ways that we would never be able to do on our own. Maybe you're sitting there here this morning wondering, let me invite the band to come back up. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you realize, I, I just need to make peace with God myself. I don't feel at peace with God. And I might have a million reasons why I don't feel at peace with God. I hope you hear a fresh invitation today to say, no matter what your circumstances have been like, I think that God is still trying to offer you peace in your life. Peace doesn't always mean the absence of conflict. Sometimes peace means stepping into conflict. God can bring peace through our trust in what Jesus can do in us. Or maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're thinking, I really do have someone in my life that I need to make peace with. Maybe the best and most personal gift you could give someone is to try to reach out and restore a broken relationship in the next month. Maybe God is calling you to be a shalom peacemaker in your work or in your neighborhood or in your family. Some gifts can change your life, right? 
Some gifts offer us a life-changing opportunity. Jesus doesn't give impersonal gifts. Jesus doesn't give box checking, I had to send this to you. He knows you. He knows us. He's known us long before we existed. And right now, I believe he's looking at each one of us and saying, here's what I have to offer you. I can give you peace that passes understanding. I can offer you peace if you will trust me and learn to live in the ways that I have taught you. I will give you forgiveness. I will make you whole. And I will help you see how the world can be the way that I designed it. And I will tell you what your role is in that if you let me. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're clearly with us this morning, and so we lift up these praises to you. We celebrate your life. We celebrate your birth. We know that we cannot do anything that we do without you. So we declare our dependence upon you this morning, and we ask for your peace, your shalom, to come into our hearts and our minds that we would trust you, and that we would be peacemakers in the world that you love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.